Welcome again to The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. I'd like to take a second look today at a book called Hard Sayings of the Bible. Authors are Kaiser, Davids, Bruce, and Brach. This book does uh, two things. Actually, it's kind of interesting. At the beginning, there are like 12 chapters that are short questions that people have asked and that they want to set straight. And then they go book by book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, where people have had questions and confusion, and they try to deal with those. So it sort of does two things that I think are very effective. I want to look at two short chapters uh, in particular. This is chapter 11, Are the New Testament Accounts of Demons True? And they point out that, of course, the New Testament refers to demons. Uh, Jesus cast out, and they appear to be personal beings who can make requests, uh, they can react in fear. I mean, they sound very personal, but are they real? The question is, oh, come on, aren't demons a pre-scientific way of talking about what we would now call psychoses, some kind of mental problems? They're saying, are there real spiritual beings in the world that can affect humans? And I said, they admit, they say, yeah, in the Middle Ages, and even today, they said in some Christian circles, a lot of what we really would call psychological dysfunction gets attributed to demons. Oh, this person is acting weird. It's got to be demons. And this is the result of this. Uh, these are misdiagnoses in the Middle Ages that it really deserves as the uh, criticism of Christians that want to express the love of Christ. And they said also it's true. Demons are rarely mentioned in the Old Testament. And even where they do mention them, Apparently, that's kind of controversial. They're not called demons. That's a Greek word. And it says it's true that some of the symptoms that you attribute to demons in the New Testament really could be indications of hysteria or epilepsy. And so <clears throat> they admit that people would question the reality of demons, but they said that's not the whole story. They said, first of all, you have to understand that doctrine gets developed throughout Scripture. In other words, the Old Testament will have maybe some basics about different things that get elaborated on in the New Testament. So, here's an example. In the, New in the Old Testament, very little is said about any spiritual being other than God until after the exile. Now, they say, yeah, there is that strange figure of the serpent in Genesis 3, but it doesn't have any other name and it doesn't appear again in the Old Testament. And they said... They probably, uh, it's probably true that Old Testament people, at least some of them, believed in the reality of some of the gods of the nations around them, even though they worshiped Yahweh. So only late in the New Testament period did we get a reference to Satan, and they said that may be more a reference to a heavenly prosecutor than actual evil person. And then they said in the intertestamental period, then they begin to see more references to demons, and it says the New Testament is then a development of this doctrine. The simplicity of the Old Testament view of the universe gives way to what they consider a greater complexity in the New Testament. So they said that's not surprising to find references to demons in the New Testament when there really aren't very many, if, if any, in the Old Testament. The Bible as a whole, and the New Testament in particular, they point out, do talk about non-physical beings in a spiritual realm. I mean, you've got God, the Father, You've got Jesus, who once existed in this spiritual realm and then became flesh. And then we have the ascension described where he returns to that spiritual realm, but he still has a human body, a human being with a body. 
Then there are angels, and they're referred to, they point out, 176 times in the New Testament, mostly in the Gospels and Revelation. So there's a spiritual realm, which the New Testament says also has a dark side. And this dark side includes Satan. He's referred to more than 65 times, or as the devil. And then Paul talks about spiritual forces, powers, and authorities, Romans 8.38, Ephesians 3.10, 6.12, Colossians 1.16, and 2.15. And, of course, demons. They're mentioned 52 times. Sometimes they're called unclean spirits. So, in other words, demons do fit into a New, Test- um, yeah, New Testament picture of a non-physical, what we would call a spiritual world that surrounds us. So, in this context, they're not strange. They're part of a biblical worldview. If you deny the possibility of these beings, then you're kind of denying the existence possibly of all spiritual beings, which includes God. A third point that these authors bring out is, it's true, demons do cause symptoms that you could interpret as psychologically dysfunctional, but it's not true that such problems are all they cause. Um, Some diseases like epilepsy and malaria and fever, and they give you Different references here are all attributed to demons. So a lot of physical disease were attributed to them, but not all physical disease was attributed because the Gospels differentiate between healing diseases and casting out demons. They said the key is whether those physical diseases attributed to demons really disappeared when Jesus cast out the demon. If so, then his claim that a demon was causing the problem, it took casting it out rather than a healing word would be confirmed. Here's a fourth point they bring up. There's good reason for the emphasis on demons in the New Testament, especially the Gospels. Why? Because Jesus came to announce the kingdom of God. And that physical kingdom showed up in the Old Testament. That was more physical because there was a clash between God, Yahweh, and the gods of Canaan and, and Egypt. And they showed God's power. He often destroyed those idols. So now, here we go in the New Testament. The kingdom comes, and it's opposed by Satan. We see that in the temptation narratives and other references to Satan. Lesser powers that are associated with him. We don't know the exact relationship between Satan and these other dark spiritual forces, but that would naturally be involved in this opposition. So if the kingdom of God is going to come to individuals, the power of that darkness has to be broken and the demons may end up being destroyed. They say, take a look at Mark one twenty-four or 5, verses 7 to 8. So the demons are part of a spiritual conflict that's been, been going on forever. And uh, so demons fit into the New Testament picture of what the reign of God means, that there will be opposition, and that salvation is not just deliverance from physical sickness or political oppression or poverty, but at root it's a deliverance from spiritual sin and from oppression by these evil spiritual forces that are out there. So if you believe the New Testament picture of the world and the human situation is accurate, then we should believe in demons as real personal beings and that the kingdom of God, when it expands, is liable to run into such beings. So it said, um, New Testament teaches about the reality of demons. It says we're not to fear them or go looking for them, but if and when they're encountered, there's more than sufficient power in Christ to expel them. So I thought that was really useful. Um, so let me do one short chapter also. That's That was chapter 11. Chapter 12, why are there four different Gospels? They said there's no doubt there's there are huge differences between these Gospels. 
He said, our problem is that uh, we think of them as modern biography. We want everything about Jesus and get the chronology right and everything in, in some kind of nice, precise order. But the Gospels were not written as modern biography. They were ancient biography. And the point of those works was not a chronology of life, but just picking out selected facts so that you could see the significance of the person's life and the morality, the, the point of the moral behind it. And uh, so it said the evangelists selected events from the life of Jesus with a purpose. John said Jesus did all sorts of signs. He says, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, by, that by believing you'd have life in his name. Got Mark and Luke. They, he, the, these authors say also had a similar purpose of evangelism. Matthew appears to include a lot of church instructions as he arranges the sayings of Jesus into five large discourses that would be really useful for the church. They also, uh, the authors here say each gospel is really aimed at a different audience. You know, Mark records the preaching of Peter, so it's in Rome, so that's aimed toward a Gentile audience. Luke addresses his gospel to somebody who appears to be a Gentile. Uh, part of it seems to be a defense of the Christian faith before Gentile leaders. And then Mark that's different than Mark. They said Matthew, on the other hand, appears to have a Jewish Christian or Jewish audience in view. And John has another type of audience. And then we need to think about this. Why are there four different Gospels? Because there were four different people. John takes a Judean perspective on Jesus and, and stays in that area and doesn't mention much going on in Galilee, whereas the other Gospels fo focus more on Galilee. They also had different interests. Luke is really interested in things like the use of money, the acceptance of women by Jesus and prayer. <clears throat> Matthew, on the other hand, is more interested in Jesus' relationship to the Jewish law. Mark doesn't tell us much about the teachings of Jesus. His interest and focus was more on what, what Jesus did. So their audiences and some of their concerns uh, shape what they want to say. So um, it says nobody had to put everything in chronological order in those days. And so you find them out of order with each other. It's okay. That was considered all right to do. Uh, they said sometimes uh, Luke, for example, is interested in geographical movement from Galilee to Jerusalem. Matthew is more interested in Jesus fulfilling Moses' imagery. And John's different. He doesn't tell as many stories about Jesus. He just selects seven signs, seven specific miracles. And he doesn't give a lot of short sayings, but he groups what Jesus says into longer discourses. So it's kind of hard to tell where Jesus leaves off speaking and where John begins speaking. All right, so here's the big picture. In the case of ancient biographies, the Gospels are not photographs of Jesus. They're portraits. So what's a portrait doing? Well, it's, it brings out an accurate likeness, but the painter can put in other things that he or she sees in that person, maybe a, a deed they did or an office they held or whatever it is. And that's what we're getting here. And these authors actually say it's important to read each gospel for itself rather than trying to combine them into a harmony. You try to put them into a story and that loses perspective. It's like taking bits and pieces out of portraits and trying to make one collective portrait from them all. Yeah, it gets things in order, but it often distorts the gospel. So the harmony is not what God chose to inspire. He chose to inspire four different gospels not one authorized biography. He wanted four pictures of Jesus, not one. And they point out, it's not that the four portraits are contradictory. They're just different. 
Again, if a four painters sat there and took a look at the same sunset and, and sketched it, each one would have a slightly different picture because they would have certain details in or certain details left out. Um, some examples here, Matthew reports Jesus talking about divorce, but he only speaks of a man divorcing a woman. For in Jewish law, only men could divorce. But when Mark speaks of the same thing, he speaks of both men divorcing women and women divorcing men because his audience in Rome had as its laws that either sex could divorce. So each of the Gospels is trying to deliver a particular message to us. And the important thing is that we not sit there and worry about getting the life of Jesus figured out with each event exactly in order, but we got, we've got to get the message of the gospel that it's trying to communicate to us, that we can hear their call to faith and that we should submit to the teachings of Jesus and that we live in the kind of discipleship that they're trying to call us to. It says uh, we need to look at it as four different portraits and enjoy them for what they are. In fact, Mark Strauss has a book out says four portraits, one Jesus, and he elaborates that. He spends time on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John showing the differences, the way they approach the life of Jesus. So that's another book I would highly recommend. Mark Strauss, Four Portraits, One Jesus. So the one I was just uh, referring to today, these two chapters, Hard Sayings of the Bible. A thick book, but uh, something that if you've struggled with Bible passages, you might want to take a look at. Well, thank you so much, and let's do another podcast soon.